the co-host of the Lunch Break Podcast, and I have a special guest, uh, a good friend and colleague, Brittany Miller. Hello, hello, hello. She's from Syracuse. She's from Syracuse, mm-hmm. uh, Orange, the Orangeman, and, uh, but she lives currently in Rochester, New York, which is my hometown. Yeah. So I met her through, I was a community manager at a co-work. She worked at a company, and we just uh, kept in contact ever since. And right now she's in between jobs, looking to get into the healthcare industry or psychology industry. So how you do? How you doing today, Brittany? I am doing phenomenally. I'm so excited to be here, Mace. I'm so happy to be seeing you and talking to you again. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Life is good. Life is good. Yeah. You know, we were talking, and uh, you and I both have something in common. We both like to listen to podcasts. Yes. Now I'm a podcast host. <laughs> currently of, as of late yeah but uh we both listen to podcasts so what are some of the podcasts you listen to why do you listen in podcasts oh boy um so my main choice i really am into, into true crime i love true crime i could tell you about any serial killer i just that's <laughs> the source of fascination to me so just as kind of like i'm not, not so guilty pleasure i don't believe in guilty pleasures i believe like if you enjoy it you just do it um, on Spotify, I listen to the Dateline podcast, um, True Crime Garage. One of my favorites is True Crime Obsessed. I would highly recommend them. Um, but on a more serious note, since the last couple of weeks I've been in between jobs, I've been doing a lot of um, soul searching and spending a lot of time on like personal growth and development. Um, and I had listened to a couple episodes of this particular podcast before and at the time, the messages, I knew they were profound, but I just didn't have the mental space to re- receive those messages because I was so busy with work. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the podcast is called Oprah's Super Soulful Conversations. I love Oprah oh, wow. Winfrey. Um, and she, in this podcast, she sits down with different people of various backgrounds and of various accomplishments, um, and they just talk. It's a super soulful conversation. Um, and what I like to do and what I have found has been most beneficial for me is when I go for my walk every day, I like to do like a five mile walk every day in Spencerport. Mm. Um, I listen to it. It's about a half hour, 45 minutes, somewhere a little bit longer. And I listen to it first. I start kind of digesting the message. Um, and then I'll actually go back and listen to it, um, maybe one or two more times and take notes on it. And I'm telling you right now it is life changing, Um, I have been really trying to practice, um, consciousness lately. So I I like to listen to them sometimes when I'm meditating. Um, and it just, it really takes you to a whole new perspective on your life, your career, your relationships. It's just absolutely phenomenal and life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me was that you run and I think you said you jog or walk and listen to podcasts. I am walking right now because I hurt my foot, so I'm technically not walking okay. moving. Um, okay, okay, okay. I, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so that makes sense. Because I was going to say, because I, I go for a jog. Lately, I've been jogging, and mm-hmm. I, there's a track near my house, and it's 400 meters. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I jog, 
and I'm listening, whether I'm listening to a music, maybe I should listen to a podcast now that I think about it so mm-hmm. I can learn a little something. Um, I find it a little distracting. So for you, how can you jog and listen without being distracted? It's, it takes a lot of practice. Um, I think for me, the last couple of weeks, I've had the benefit of not working. And I, I you know, I, it's not something I'm ashamed of to say that I, I left a job because there were a lot of reasons why, mostly to do with me personally. Um, I think everybody would benefit from having those couple of weeks of quiet. I think our brains are so in need of being quiet and having a quiet space to exist in. Mm. Um, so once I was able to stave off that level of just chaos and just kind of that buzz, I think that we always have, you'd be surprised at what the capacity of the brain I think can do. Um, Mm. it just, there's a level of quietness that I've had that I haven't had in a very long time. And that, you know, you're not going to hear every part of the podcast when you're exercising, that's just not feasible, but you, you find that you do digest the message in ways that you're not aware of. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know if I have a direct answer for you. It just it kind of yeah. does. No, I was just was curious. I was just yeah. curious. I wasn't looking no. for a solid. And one of the podcasts I'm listening to is uh, Introvert Deer. Mm-hmm. And it's more uh, for personal reasons. It's because I'm an extrovert. I have a lot yeah. of introverts in my family, a lot yeah. of introverts that I'm friends with. And uh, it's just a project trying to understand introverts, you know. And I'm, I take notes when I listen to it. That way, because for me, if I don't write it down, sometimes I could lose it. I mean, I might yeah. keep one or two main points, but if I'm not writing, if I don't write down some of the key um, takeaways or later that day, write it down. Or sometimes I'll even use my phone and record mm-hmm. and give a recap. Like sometimes I'll do that too. Yep. Um, so for you, when you listen to podcasts, when you're not um, walking or jogging, how do you process listening to, to podcasts? Um, I like to sit down and just jot the notes. I like to take away, um, you know, there's been a couple that I've listened to that the person that Oprah is interviewing or Oprah that might reach a point in a conversation where they say something that to me is really profound. You get kind of like those little goosebumps. And I'll write <laughs> that down. Yeah. And, Yeah, I just jot it down because let me tell you, I think when you write it down, I'm a firm believer in what you put out mentally and what you put out as far as energy is what you manifest. And I think the action of writing down a message that really you resonate with, that helps you manifest that message for you. Um, However, it translates. So one of the podcasts I listened to that she interviewed, she interviewed Wes Moore. Um, I don't remember the exact trajectory of his career, but I believe he went into the military and he came out and he worked an array of jobs and he, his whole topic of his podcast was talking about how success and service are intertwined and how his definition of success is not exclusively related to money. Um, his definition of success, um, is the impact that his job has on his community. So when he looks at a job, he doesn't look for, the sexiness of a job title or the pay rate. He looks at what the impact of that job is going to be. And that was really profound because I think we're all guilty of looking at jobs and looking at how much they make. And, you know, there's those sexy job titles of nurse, doctor, um, teacher, firefighter, police officer, recruiter, what have you. 
But if the impact of that job doesn't resonate with your soul, I don't know mm. that sometimes it's a good blend for you. You got to find what really mm-hmm. messes with your soul and what feeds your soul. Yeah, that's that's so powerful. I think for the, those who listen and they should take that to heart because like, I remember, you know, growing up, my, uh, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. That was her goal for me to be a radiologist mm-hmm. or to be a lawyer. And um, so when I grew or actually two years before I graduated high school, I um, started working at Strong Memorial Hospital locally. And um, it was a great job. Great job. You know, good people. Um, I was in the radiology department um, helping x-ray technicians, you know, and I was kind of like they call my job title is project assistant. Mm -hmm. And they had me doing various things. And um, after two and a half years, I was like, you know, this just doesn't resonate with me. You know, I'm just, you know, sometimes I would be in the ER and I would see blood and this and that. And I'm like, it's not that it made me sick to my stomach, but I'm like, this is not what I want to be doing. Like, I want to do something more um, different. So I got into construction. Long story short, I got into sales and sales and operations is more community, client-facing, customer-facing. Mm-hmm. That's more my thing. Mm-hmm. Even like being in the public, whether it's, you know, I some somehow I land up in a PR role. or But something with people or public that just what resonates with me. That's what fills my, my soul. Um, and so that's a very good point. Very good point that you make. Um, and so like finding meaning in what we do is something that you and I both, um, believe in mm-hmm. and are passionate about. Um, what are some of your thoughts on that? You know, people, like you said, there's so many different job titles and salaries and whatnot um and there's even industries right like yeah right now construction you know typically you know construction is booming somebody but oh i should start a construction business because it's booming but finding meaning in what you do what uh what are your some what are some of your thoughts on that so i think we are all driven by different motivators internal and external i think um it's kind of the nature versus nurture debate i mean i think we are each born with a really unique set of moral values and certain i guess like our little i think we all are in our like a little driver's seat and we all have our own little highways that we drive on so to speak um and sometimes we divert from that and sometimes we just stay right in our lane um and i think in the terms of finding or Existing in a capacity that brings you meaning, whether that means working or volunteering, um, I think that you, I think my point with that is a person like you who maybe you like connecting with people, but maybe connecting with people in a hospital environment like a nurse would. That's just your connection with people doesn't drive fulfillment from that, but somebody else might find fulfillment in that. And I think it just really is based on the individual person. Um, I think I know I probably take it further than some, and I think there's people that can exist solely based on finding a job that pays well, and that's where they get their meaning from. I think it it exists at all different levels and different people. Yeah. Um, And like you said, you said uh, a nurse might, feel connected in that way and then i remember when i was working as a community manager i would connect with people because it's like one of my passions is business and entrepreneurship yeah um even though i myself 
am not an entrepreneur. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, but I do like uh, the idea of startups. And yeah. my favorite TV show is Shark Tank, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that personal experience of being at, uh, as a, being a community manager has shaped me moving forward. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to personal experiences, because people work at different places, whether they have a good experience, bad experience, how do you think someone's journey impacts um, what they will find meaning in? That's a really good question. Um, no, I don't know. I think only speaking for myself, um, I started out at a really young age, always wanting to help people. And I think that began because I had such a low self-esteem as a little kid and as a teenager that in turn, because I felt like I couldn't help myself, well, who else can you help? And what a greater gift than that to help others and make others feel better because I couldn't feel good. So let's help others feel good. Um, Mm. And I think that has always been like the really core of what I try to do when I look for a job is how can I help people? Um, I've certainly made my mistakes along the way. Um, And then uh, to kind of compound on that, You know, in college, I went through a somewhat traumatic experience that really has shaped my desire to work with people who are victims of sexual assault and sex trafficking. Um, Mm. And I think that still comes back to the concept of I couldn't help myself, but I can take the knowledge that I have and my passion and my empathy and use that information to help get somebody else or help prevent somebody from getting in that situation. So that hmm. that's my own personal journey on that. That's yeah. Thank you for uh, thank you for getting vulnerable. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's deep. You know, that's not mm-hmm. something that uh, most people will want to talk about um, or mention. And so, I, I definitely respect the fact that you were willing to be uh, vulnerable. Um, you so you went to college. What degree do you have? I have a bachelor's in psychology. Bachelor's in psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, psychology is actually. Uh, passion of mine, like human behavior, like why do people do, um, do what they do? You know, um, it's fascinating how people work and their emotional makeup and, 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 and things of that nature. And it seemed like you said, you said something where you said your childhood or wanting to help people has kind of always been a theme. Do you think that's what everybody, do you think most people, there's always a theme in what they do and they might not even realize it? I think so. I think there has to be. Um, yeah, I think there has to be. And, you know, I can't obviously speak on what other people do. Well, actually, no, that's just my brother, for example. My brother was a much shyer kid than I growing up. Um, he brilliantly smart. He's a couple years younger than me. And I just could speak to the moon and back about him because he's just such an incredible human being. Um, very shy. And he, in high school, got into, I believe it was called DECA. So he found his niche was in kind of in business. And he really blossomed in college. He took a business analytics class and all that stuff. And he found himself um, in a really phenomenal internship opportunity in college, which resulted in him getting hired full-time his senior year of college. Yeah. Um, and he's just, his career has just exploded. And I think for him... 
um, he always felt the need to have to prove himself because he was a younger sibling for um, mm. the two of us. Okay. And he, I think in his mind, he always felt there was some competition that existed between him and myself. And I think he internalized that to, well, I had to just keep proving myself to be better, better and better. And my God, at 25 years old, he's, I think he's the project manager of a pretty big global company. Um, in North Carolina. So he, I think that is an example of somebody who has a theme of always trying to prove himself to do better and to know that he, you know, he doesn't have to be the smartest in the room, but he's very confident in himself. I mean, he's the first person I thought of, to be honest with you. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I know for me, my theme, like, I remember because my family is made up of like, Either they're a career person, mm -hmm. traditional, and for some reason, I don't know why this is the number, but $40,000 is like the golden number for my family. So if you're a career person, you make around 40, maybe 50,000, 60, you know, 60 at max. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is they're entrepreneurial and they're like, I'm going to make my bread being solo. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I looked at those who had their own career and I'm like, okay, is that something I want to do? But I see, it seemed like those in my family who started their own entrepreneurial journey. So I wanted to blend the two just yeah. because there's a little more stability in the, in the career side of things. So um, I think that kind of shaped, you know, my, my, my environment kind of shaped what I wanted. I remember I used to think, Oh, you know what? I remember I was like 11 or 12. I'm like, I'm going to own my own hotel one day. <laughs> then when I graduated high school, I'm like, you got to be a millionaire to own your own hotel someday. Because <laughs> there's just so much expenses. So it's kind of like, it's funny how that, that changed. But, um, but hospitality is the core because I love giving people that experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's why I probably thrived as a community manager because it was... Uh, me providing a hospitable experience to, mm -hmm. to people. So that's a, that's a good point. Do you think sometimes too, it could also be culturally based or family based? I think, I think there are different cultures in this world that are really family centric. And I wonder if that plays a role in it as well, not to go down that road. Cause I think that would require a whole nother conversation, but I wonder if the culture that you came from growing up also informs the career you picked down the road to an extent. I definitely, actually, first of all, I want to recognize you for being the first guest to ask me a question <laughs> yeah. or to put a question out there. That's, that's, that was pretty clever. Um, I definitely think it does. I can even make a poll. So what I'll do is I'll make a poll. Let me write this down. I'll make a poll. By the way, James, you can edit this part out or without me writing this down. Poll, um, family influence career yeah i i personally feel like it does play a role because like subconsciously not even consciously my uncle my my mom's brother mm -hmm. i don't i don't even know i mean no one really talks about this but i really don't think he graduated high school mm -hmm. because since 16 years old he's been fixing cars selling them, mm -hmm. you know, for a profit, et cetera. And he's been doing that like 
since I was, you know, uh, for as long as I've been alive. Right. And I don't know how much he makes because he don't say, but I would estimate, let's just ballpark it as close to 100000 Let's just say that. Okay. Because I look at the, the cars he has, the house he has, you know, his whole living situation. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. And subconsciously, I'm like, you know, I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to buy and sell cars. Cars is not my thing. I'm not a mechanic. I can't fix things. That is not me. I'm more office and stuff. So, but I definitely think subconsciously, even if we may not admit it or be aware, I honestly feel our family dynamic and our the people that surround us definitely influence the career path we choose. Even if at first, maybe at some point we like become our own person, but I think, you know, in the beginning stages, especially with the first few jobs we get, definitely there's there's a a subconscious there. Yeah. You know, is there anybody in your family that went into school for psychology? No. So my family is a very, it's an interesting split as well. I'm glad you actually asked that. So my grandfather on my mom's side is a firefighter, first responder. He's getting close to 80, so he obviously doesn't do as much anymore, but he owned his own electrical company. Um, but he was like the first to go to fires growing up. And I remember being little at my grandparents' house and any time um, the fire siren would go off because they lived in this really small town outside of Syracuse, he would be off in his truck. Well, my mom's a nurse, and I was entertaining going into nursing for the longest time. Um, and I guess, like, psychology is related in the sense that it's under the umbrella of healthcare. But I've right. always made this joke that out of my brother and I, one of us was going to go into healthcare because it kind of runs in the family, so to speak. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. my mom's brother, so my uncle um, went to college for criminal justice and but it was hard for him to get a job as a police officer because all of the fulfillments that they have to get, I don't know. It was a long story, but he moved to Florida and he owns a bike shop in Florida. And it's funny now that my brother went the business route. And then you have my dad, my dad owned his own business landscaping company growing up. And then he went into like the blue collar work. He actually worked at Syracuse university while I was going to school there. So it's really interesting. If you look at the family tree, the different career paths that people have that even though like the job titles are different, the underlying theme of each of the jobs, or I guess kind of the attributes of the job are very similar. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody. I, it, it was inevitable that my brother and I were going to go into healthcare in some capacity because it just runs so wow. in the family. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have, um, for some reason, a lot of my family members too work in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Uh, my family's like working at Strong Hospital is like the golden ticket for some reason. I, can like, see I guess because of the benefits, you know, the benefits and this and that, the longevity of uh, of the career path, all of this stuff. So when I left Strong Hospital, I got a lot of scrutiny from my family. Why would you leave that job? Yeah, such a good job. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I just wasn't fulfilled. What do you expect? You know, like, yeah. I want happiness and this is not making me happy. So, um, but a lot of my family feel like that's the golden ticket. 
Which is, um, it, it, I'm sure at the time, I mean, you were confident enough in yourself, it sounds like, to recognize that that wasn't making you happy, but I'm sure there there still was a bit of an inner conflict because you have this feedback that, oh, you've, you're in a great place, but you're like, but this is a great place, but it's not a great place for me. And kind mm-hmm. of wrestling with that. It was tough. That. It was tough. Yeah. It was tough because yeah. I left that job to go to construction. Mm-hmm. You know, then I went from construction to selling life insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, me and my ex-wife ran a, a hair salon together, a home-based hair salon, but we made money. Like how I know, like, I feel like I'm not a VP right now. I've never been a VP in a company, but mm-hmm. I'm more of like a second or third in command where, cause she had her hair salon or, you know, she used to, she used to do it on her own. Then I came on the scene. And a lot of her clients would ask for hair, like they would, you know, whether it's weave or uh, wigs, you know, because yeah. her client base, the age range were different. So she would recommend them to go to a store and buy it. But I'm like, how come you won't just be the retailer? Mm-hmm. So we found a, a wholesaler and I bought, I, you know, spent a lot of money and like bought it in bulk and they gave us a discount. And then where like I think it was like forty dollars per whatever, mm-hmm. and I turned forty dollars into three hundred dollars because she would make whatever she would make, and women spend a lot of money on hair. So, yeah. um, so that's how I know I'm I'm more of like a second or third in command. I I've, I've tried. I remember when I was eighteen, I tried like creating a video game, and I went with this company, and it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I tried being like an entrepreneurship coach that didn't work out. Um, honestly, lately I've been thinking like, you know what, maybe I should start my, cause I did window cleaning, power washing, gutter cleaning, mm-hmm. painting, demolition. I did that for like three years. I've actually been thinking about doing my own, um, window cleaning company, mm-hmm. but I just want to do ranches. I don't want to go too high up. Like I, I'll do two stories, but I don't want to go three, four. I don't want to do, or even if, if it's just like a pizza shop and they want me to do it. Okay, fine. But thought about doing that as a side hustle, but I can see myself having a side hustle, but I don't, I don't see myself being like having 10, 15 employees and like, yeah, man, like, I just don't have it in me. I just don't, yeah. I don't thrive on that. But if I'm second and third in command and I'm managing, I don't know why it's just that difference. Like, there's CEO like this versus really, I think there's this really trivial difference in responsibility between the second in command and the first in command, but that little trivial difference can just, you know, kind of dictate how much, how, how accountable you are for the staff below you. Yeah, for sure. And, um, a question that I ask everybody yeah. is, uh, business, business is personal. What does that mean to you personally when you hear that? That's a really good question. Um, well, so I can, for me personally, long term, because this is a very personal career I want to um, go down on or embark on, um, I would like to get. I'm hoping I'm taking the GRE in October to get my master's in either social work or clinical psychology with the long-term goal of going on getting my PhD in clinical psychology um, and working exclusively with victims of human trafficking and sexual assault. Um, So for me, business is personal 
that to me is a very personal um, uh, context to work in. I think that it should be personal to all of us because it, it does affect all of us in our community, um, especially with Rochester, and I'm not gonna go down this road too much because it would require a whole other episode. Um, human trafficking is a huge issue in Rochester. Um, mm. And it makes me very angry that there are human beings out there that take advantage of people and use them for various reasons that um, that ruin the dignity of that person. Um, so for me, business is personal. How it translates into my career is I very, I'm, I, I just, to my core, I believe in the rights of every single person on this planet to leave a healthy, respectful, dignified life, whatever that looks like. Um, and I think in the context of human trafficking, it goes without saying that people are existing on this world that take away those rights from that human being. And it's personal to me in the sense that um, we're all members of the community, we're all members of this planet, and you... Um, somebody victimizing another human being that still directly affects me, if that makes sense, because we're all, we're all related in this greater community, whether or not people want to believe that right now, um, yeah. an attack on somebody in Rochester is an attack on myself and it's an attack on my family and it's an attack on my friends because you, if you don't respect this person's life, you don't respect my life. Um, so yeah, for me, business is very personal because what I want to do affects the lives of so many people out there and it, it affects me as well. Um, again, because we're all woven together by the thread of community for sure. Wow. That's very powerful. Thank you. Uh, only cause it's you. I'll share this. Um, so twice in my childhood, I was personally, um, sexually abused mm -hmm. and, um, I kept, I kept it a secret for a long time. I think I might've hinted it to one of my sisters, but I didn't really tell her. And I didn't tell my mom till I was 24. And I'm well, there's such, a, there's such a stigma, you know, there's such a stigma in general around it. And I think for men, even more so, it's very harder to talk about it because of just the attitudes that you get and the responses that men receive. So I, I'm sorry you went through that. I very much know the, the grieving process of that situation. Um, the last thing, since we talked about business is personal, that was the time to share something personal. I know we talked about the career prior in the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you and I have planned a wedding before. Mm -hmm. uh, right now you're actually in the wedding planning process. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, what are some of what's what it's like to plan a wedding right now with you know initially this wasn't the case covid you know quarantine what are some of some of the some of the adjustments you had to make you know it, it was a really big learning curve about my ability to be patient and take on and absorb a lot of stress in a way um the last few months. So we got engaged in March of 2019 and our wedding was supposed to be this October. And for well over a year, we had had our wedding plans set in place, photographer, venue, all that good stuff. Right. Um, and around April is when we started saying, wait a second, we got to take a closer look at this. But we didn't think in April really truly that it was going to, that COVID was going to still have this much of an impact this far mm. out into the fall. I mean, we did, but we weren't sure. And we weren't ready to make a call on the wedding yet. 
Um, so I will say it was a very surreal experience to get to the middle of July, so three months out, and realize that this vision that we had had for the last year and change was not what was going to manifest. Um, and, you know, for him and I, it was really never about the reception um, or the pageantry of the reception. We really just were really looking to get married. But I think with anybody, when you've put that much time into planning, um, you inevitably start in visualizing what the day is going to look like. And we had to let go of that. I mean, we had to really get to a point where we were supposed to have 130 people. Um, and now what we're doing is we pulled the plug completely on the end of October, which really hurt because October is my favorite month. I love fall. Um, and it, we had to narrow it down to 15 people. Well, how do you go from 130 people that you love and care about to picking 15? So it, it was a grieving process, not to sound dramatic, but, you know, you have this vision and you have to accept that this idea, mm. what you're hoping is only going to be one day, you're never going to repeat this again, you know? Right, um, right. So what we ended up doing is we're doing a really intimate ceremony up in Lake Placid at the end of September. So Thankfully, we were very blessed that we didn't actually choose to move the wedding itself out. We we're actually, we moved mm. the wedding up six weeks, which is a whole other ball game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more that we had to do, um, but we're doing a reception next year. God okay. willing that we're still, but yeah, it, it's, um, you know, wedding planning itself is stressful and I really went about it trying to be very laid back. And I, you know, again, I didn't really care if the bridesmaids dresses matched or anything like that. I mean, that's not going to dictate the day, but at the same time, like I said, when you have this vision that you've put together over for over a year and then three mm -hmm. months out, you have to scrap it and then mm -hmm. hope that all of your vendors are still available next year. Um, yeah. that was a lot. It was, it was a little overwhelming. And I think we're all going to walk away from this, um, COVID the last few months with a little bit of, um, PTSD because it's not natural for us to have this much restriction as long as we've had it. Um, yeah. Definitely gonna have PTSD after this. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and, uh, yeah. Hug, like you hugging me. What is this? <laughs> right. I mean, I think that from a psych perspective, and maybe this is me just looking at it from my own lens, which I think we're all guilty of doing, but I, I can see where people are going to have a little bit more anxiety and be a little bit more prone to stress because it, 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 looking at it transparently, it's been stressful for every single one of us since March. Very stressful. Yeah. As an extrovert, it's been, it's been brutal because I yeah. like being around a lot of people. I used to go to, you know, events or gatherings or a party situation every week, every right. at least once or twice a week to go from that to like nothing, nothing. Right. You it's know, or every once in a while do like a social distance situation, but it's very brief. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it's been tough. It's been tough. And as far yeah. as the wedding planning, um, well, my first marriage that failed, um, our wedding, our wedding had to get postponed. We had to push it out. Like, six months just because things, you know, unforeseen things happened or whatever. And we had right. to postpone. I think I was crushed by it, but it, it hit my ex-wife harder than it hit me. And mm -hmm. it took her some time to process, like we're postponing that wedding. That hit her pretty tough. Mm -hmm. um, we also had some hiccups along the road. Yeah. I know like, you know, family influence, you know, some people who have, you know, want to put their two cents into the situation. So we had to navigate that situation. Um, but I couldn't imagine 
you know, you're, you, you have a projection of what your wedding to be and then COVID. Like right now, like, because I had got married at a building, you know, inside of a place. Now, if I ever get married again, I would want it to be like a beach wedding, mm-hmm. like outdoors, you know. Um, I would, wouldn't, I don't even know if I would have socks or shoes on because I want to be in the sand. But to like try to plan that, like I kind of imagine planning that and then like maybe I had to reduce that. So like how did you and him, like how are y'all processing that? Like in, like, if someone was planning a wedding right now, what advice would you give them? Because that's not easy to release control and, and, and deal to. with that change. You, I think right now what I would tell people is that allow yourself, the biggest thing I struggled with is a lot was allowing myself to grieve it because I felt kind of silly being upset and feeling these emotions over a wedding when around me there were people, you know, sick with COVID or just what I felt Mm. to be more legitimate struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got to a point where I said, no, this is, this is legitimate for you. I mean, you were, you know, I was so excited about the day that we had had planned. Um, And it was, you know, it was actually my mom, bless her heart, because she and I don't always agree on a lot of things, but she told me, she's like, Britt, it's okay to be sad about this. You, you've been doing, you've been putting all this energy into this idea and these, these plans for so long. She's like, it's a little bit traumatic to have to, um, three months out, just change it. And I really did, Mason. I got to a point where I almost called the wedding off completely because I was so burnt by this experience the last, I think, the month of June and mm. July. Just Not that I didn't want to get married, but I right. was ready to just say, why don't just he and I just elope and go to the justice of the peace because it was just so overwhelming. And mm. what compounded that was then you would get people asking you, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And it was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even yeah. know what the best path is. Um, and that That's was tough. hard. That was hard. I mean, and I was getting really frustrated for about a good month because I just felt that, you know, I didn't expect the wedding planning to be easy, but then you throw the wrench of COVID in there and you're having to talk to all your vendors and trying to figure Man. out. Yeah. I would say, um, I practice daily meditation, get into meditation and use that time to just allow yourself to just spend time with yourself. Um, I would say go for walks, exercise, like anything that can be an outlet to just take off that top layer. So I compare stress and like, to like a a cup of beer. Like when you pour fresh beer, you get that. I've never heard this before. Oh, this is how I compare it. So for me, when I think of like my stress and anxiety, I think of it as like when you crack open a can of beer or whatever, and you pour it into a cup and you get, if you don't pour it right, you get all that froth on top. Yeah, exactly. The actual actual beer itself is like who we really are and what our capacity is and what like our typical anxiety levels are throughout the day. That froth is like the extra layer of crap. And Mm. what I have found is that, because nobody wants to drink the frothy part and like, why would you exist with that? Yeah is if you can do something to just mitigate or get rid of that frothy part to make that stress a little bit more tolerable, whether that's reading a book, exercising, journaling, talking with a friend, meditating, that will help you at least manage that stress and deal with that amount of stuff on your plate a little bit better. You're not going to take all the stress away, but find yeah. ways to manage it a little bit better. Yeah. Awesome. That's really good advice. Thank you. Um, you know, 
hearing you talk about the wedding um, and this the process and all of that, you know, me personally, I'm a very um, romance buff, even though like I love entrepreneurship and Shark Tank and stuff like that. I do like my romantic comedies like Hitch and, you know, different things. Love um, Hitch. Love Hitch. You know, I wish I could be a wedding planner. Like sometimes I'm like, you know, I should be a wedding planner. And I know about my thoughts and stuff be all over the place sometimes but i i decided wedding planning would be for me but yeah don't be I a wedding planner to, don't don't be no i, no. I figured i figured it won't be worth it but uh no i just for all those out there who are engaged in planning a wedding you know congratulations you know, yes finding true love is not easy um and i'm just happy for all those who get married so you personally i'm, I'm happy Thank for you. you too you know what my dad asked me and I wonder what your thoughts are on this is my dad, maybe he didn't ask me, he made a comment about how, if you were to take like a, um, not a survey, well, I guess a survey of anybody who got married, whose wedding was affected by COVID, what their longevity is, because mm. he made a good point that this is going to really, you know, if you were somebody that was getting married for the pageantry and just having the wedding as opposed to the marriage, this could really theoretically, I mean, I would think that this would be enough to really magnify those differences and values. Um, and I guess it's more of a hypothetical question. Like what is it going to look like in five years when people kind of start hitting the initial rough patches and their monotony of a marriage? How are those couples that went through this process and went through this mm. enormous stress with planning the wedding, um, you know, long-term what's their longevity look like? You know, are they together? What's the success rate of the marriages? Mm. It's just, a, mm -hmm. I think my dad was onto something. I'm interested in seeing that. Well, I'll share my initial thoughts on that because I, before COVID, I kind of had a thought. I said, especially in the U.S., I can't speak for other countries, but right. all I know is in the U.S., I think some people fantasize more over the wedding. Mm-hmm than what marriage is really like. Because mm -hmm. the wedding is just one day. So, you know, some people, when they're young, um, they may fantasize about the wedding day and, you know, how beautiful that might be. But the reality of, of a marriage is tough. There's the storms, there's the trials, there's, yes. the, you know, the conflicts and, the, you know. Uh, I often compare, like, marriage to, like, business because sometimes, you know, at any moment, a, a business could go out, you know, it could yeah. fail. So my personal perspective is if wedding was just like, if the wedding was more like you, your family, something simple, not extravagant and all this party and gifts and this, 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 this and it was just like, you get married because you love the person. No right. big ceremony, no, and it's just super duper simple. I feel... I'm not going to say less people would get married, but maybe less people would get married than people who really love each other would get married. I agree. So what your dad is saying, I, um, I personally feel like I'm like, man, it's like so many people get married for the wrong reasons or they get married for the popularity of it. Like some people say, Oh, you need to be married by 30. You need to be married by 30. Yeah. There's and if you're 29, timelines. you're 29, you're like, I need to get married. And it's right. like, no, 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 no. Get married when you find the one. And you love that person and you can't live without that person. Right. Not because you're expected to. Yeah, I think you're, I 100% agree with you. I think that to build on your point that 
anybody who's been engaged and is planning a wedding during this time and is going through the whole process of the unknown and making changes to the best of your ability and realizing that you may not have what you want, which may not be the big fancy venue or whatever. If you are getting married for the wedding, I could see where this could cause a really big crack in that relationship because all of a sudden you're not getting what you wanted and you're forced to compromise. And if you're not ready to compromise on your vision, you know, does that, who knows, does that lead to success in the marriage or is that going to lead to a marriage failing? Not to say it's right or wrong either way, but I would just be interested on the case study of the couples that were impacted by COVID to see if that stress and that challenge of having to really work together and go through this really nitty gritty time led to success in the marriage down the road. And I think it will. I really do think it will. Yeah. This is going to have to be to be continued. I'm going to have to bring you yes. on again yes. as a guest again. Yeah. Um, just because we could, we could talk about so many different things. So thank you, you for coming on today. <laughs> yeah, we could, we really could. So thank you for coming on today. And, uh, I appreciate you. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for letting me share a little bit of my wisdom. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Lunch and Drink Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories on their lunch breaks. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating, share on social media, and make sure you come back for more episodes on Season 4 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where business is personal.